I note from our bulletin that I'm meant to be delivering this sermon while kneeling. <laughs> if, I, if, I had not, if we'd not already planned to gather up the united thank offering, I'd be putting in a coin in gratitude for another opportunity for righteous disobedience. <laughs> You'll forgive me for remaining standing. The, um, this Easter, we have been blessed once again with what is almost a cliche at this point, and that is mainstream journalism underlining the reality that we're in a post-Christian, post-modern age, and that institutional forms of the church are corrupt, hypocritical, out of touch with modern culture and sensibility, soft on sin, too judgmental, too liberal, too conservative, and so on. The Roman Catholic journalist, who I generally like a great deal, Andrew Sullivan, has penned an article for Newsweek. You may have seen the, the hipster Jesus on the cover and forget the church, follow Jesus, was the, was the cover. Um, the article seemed to applaud Thomas Jefferson's attempt to cut the bits of the Bible he didn't like out and just be left with the essence of the gospel, this notion that there is somehow some essence that we can pull out of everything and get to the real truth and be spiritual uh, but not religious, for example. The author makes the old assertion that the mainline church has been replaced by the new evangelicals, which is really ignoring the reality that if there is movement between those groups, it is still a shrinking movement in the Christian overall West. Um, Mr. Sullivan seems almost embarrassed by being involved in this attempt to sell mainstream magazines with edgy religious stuff. He writes, I have no concrete idea how Christianity will wrestle free of its current crisis of its distractions and temptations, and above all, its enmeshment with the things of this world. In another popular outlet, the Huffington Post, a chap I hadn't heard of, but maybe you have, Christian Piat is his name, a singer, a songwriter, a blogger, and a longtime self-professed atheist, tells why he became a Christian. He found, he said, a community that defied Christian stereotypes. He found his voice, he said, through being encouraged to share a couple of songs that were meaningful to him. He found deeper meaning in his life rather than worrying too much about what comes after that. And he found a sense of belonging, a group of people passionate about the things that mattered to him. They didn't have to agree with him, ask him for money, ask him to sign his name in some official book. He said that he thinks churches assume that things like preaching and music programs and small groups and denominational identity and doctrine and creeds and nice, car nice carpets, bathrooms and gardens are critical to their transformation, but these are not things he cares about. I, I care about nice bathrooms, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> But this is not particularly unusual stuff in the world in which we live. Just about anywhere we turn, we can find someone opining about spirituality, religion, God, and usually the impending death of the church. And we really ought to be thinking about these things. In fact, we have been over years of strategic thinking. We've been thinking and considering what it means to be a church today and whether or not we should be pursuing a capital campaign in the near future. Today is the day of our annual parish meeting, and we'll conduct business around that and other matters between the services, and you're all invited. But here, we're invited to think about the church and what it means to be church, people called out, 
called to be together, called to be the new humanity, called to be the first fruits for a world in need. And we're, called, we're invited to do this especially in the light of our, what I think is politely called communitarian reading from the Acts of the Apostles. We've learned, heard how uh, Luke, we've heard Luke recount how all those believed were of one heart and one soul, how they shared everything in common, how material goods were distributed to each as any had need. Now, most scholars think it unlikely that such conditions ever prevailed in the church. In fact, in St. Paul's earlier testimony, the testimony of his letters, there is clear conflict in the Christian community from day one. But nevertheless, there's a kind of truth in this utopian description, and it's the truth that goes with falling in love. It's the truth that goes when, in a time when everything makes sense, and when we have an overwhelming sense of rightness, and a time when generosity and grace take hold. We're, we're hearing a memory in this passage of heady days, expressions of confidence and meaning and hope of the kind that we frequently hear from those of you who come back from adult inquirers' retreats filled with the Holy Spirit and with a, a kind of newness of life. But we also know from observing uh, Scripture, from observing the world around us, then in time, relationships necessarily become structured in some ways if they are to thrive. There may be constitution and canons, or there may be simply norms and habits of the heart. But either way, the community, be it made up of two people who have fallen in love and decided to be together for the rest of their lives, or made up of people who give testimony to the resurrection of the Lord along with the apostles, community becomes structured so that the community can thrive. And it's equally true that unless those structures are examined from time to time and shaped anew and given new life and new meanings, they can easily become strictures, serving only to choke the life out of the community. And a, and a lot of what I think the world is resisting that it sees in the church are things that seem to choke life rather than give life. And we need to pay attention as a community of faith looking to be vibrant and accessible, and hospitable, and sustainable, and growing in the next 15, 20, 50 years. What we hear from the world around us is the Christian community expressed as beliefs, creeds, doctrines, and rules is being rejected by great swaths of people. And similarly, many reject what they perceive to be Christian as judgmental, illiberal, outdated, wedded to conservative causes. And what we know is that much if not most of what goes on here is life-giving, at least for us, is transformative stuff. But it's when we pay attention to our own growth in faith, when we pay attention to those practices, just as St. Luke remembers certain practices, there are different practices these days, but when we pay attention consciously to what we're doing so that we are preparing ourselves for the inevitable times when life presents extraordinary challenges so that we can respond to those challenges with integrity and with purpose and with hope and in the confidence of God's transforming, life-giving love for us, even when death seems to be winning. And at the heart of what we do, the practice, we can talk about all the practices, study and prayer and service and generosity, but at the heart, the practice that, makes the, that is the most important is worship, is gathering around the table 
so that we are turning and being turned to what is of ultimate worth, to what really matters, so that we're being shaped for life, so that in time we'd start responding as people who are created for love and for integrity and for reasonable and holy hope. And so we gather around this table with all sorts and conditions of humanity to tell and enact the story of what really matters, a story that is told from the perspective of the victim, a story that asks us literally and metaphorically to stand with those who suffer and to share in each other's joys. We live in an age in which if we want this community to be vital a generation from now, we must take neither All Saints nor our own faith for granted. So what I'm going to be looking for and thinking about more and more in the current, in the year to come, is that even as we talk about how to reorient our physical space toward what really matters, paying attention to exits and entrances and pathways, I'll also be talking about how we can be conscious about our own faith such that we can invite others to join us, and that we can do that with integrity, that we can invite them perhaps to find themselves falling in love with great grace upon all those in the community of Jesus. We can't express this as a series of rules and regulations, but we can develop areas of self-expectation um, self around the practices by which we develop our own faith, by which God shapes us. And the first among those would be worship. How, do you, how often do you expect yourself to be in church? I think the answer is less important than being conscious about it so that you know, because when we start paying attention and start ordering our lives around commitments we've made, then the lives get shaped toward what matters. So how often do you expect to be in church? Do you expect to be in church when you're on holiday, once a week, once a month, just Christmas and Easter, whenever you're in town, whenever, it's, whenever there isn't a sports game? These are, it, it's not that these decisions are easy. I just want them to be conscious. My children to this day wonder why we have to go to church on holiday, and it's partly so that we appreciate All Saints more. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, it's because that's what we do as a family. That's who we are. That may not be yours, but you get, when we get clear about our commitments and organize our lives around them rather than trying to sort of fit them in around the edges, then we increase our own capacity to faith, and we'll find that God really does work to transform us into the people we imagine ourselves to be at our best. We could talk about prayer and study and all these other practices and will over time. It's almost like developing a rule of life, developing a sense of personal commitments that give structure and shape to our own faith, because then we'll be living it in ways that are attractive to others. And we need those others to share in the way of life. Because in the end, the church is not an institution. Not really. Not first and foremost. We are the community of Jesus, gathered and made visible through the practices that make sense to us as we interpret the gospel today. So that church described in Acts exists today. But it's made manifest with different practices and in different places to express the great love that flows when we testify to the resurrection and find great grace is upon us all. So in a time of silence on this day, I invite you to consider your own commitments about worship. What makes sense to you? 
begin a conversation with yourself and then with those in your family and those around you. And if you have a clue what the answer is, ask God's grace that you may live faithfully toward that commitment and then give thanks as you sense your life being changed. In silence and in response to the gospel and for the sake of the community of faith, let us pray.